Once again, good morning. Good morning, good morning, yes. Glad you guys are all here. Um, we've been going through the um, a, a summer sermon series, that's hard to say, uh, focusing on the Psalms for the, last two, for the last two weeks. One of the things that I want to encourage all of us as we come in here this morning, whether you uh, have gone to church your whole life, whether you have, this is your first time in a church service, one of the things that I want to encourage you, even now in this moment, is that wherever you are, whatever you've been through in the last day, in the last week, in the last year, you can bring yourself as you are to God. And that's one of the big themes that uh, we see in the Psalms, is that we, when we open up the book of this, this book, of this ancient book, is that we see these writers like David crying out to God and coming to God as he is. So my hope is that as we dive into the Psalms is that you that's one of the outcomes, is that you would be able to give yourself as you are. Not only yourself, even as, as uh, Bill just prayed, we give our bodies to God, we give our requests to God. We can give our emotions to God. That's one of the things that we're looking at. Um, and so as we dive in, just to kind of reorient us for a second, a lot of this sermon series is uh, founded kind of on a book I read years ago by Dan Allender called The Cry of the Soul. Anybody uh, heard of Dan Allender, maybe? Yeah? Um, so part of the way he kind of thinks about the Psalms and kind of the, our, our emotions is primarily in the way we experience our emotions is in the context of relationships. And particularly, there, there's two ways that kind of people act negatively against us. They can either attack us or they can abandon us. And we, we see a lot of this in the Psalms. You're going to see this in Psalm 55 here in a second. And partly... In, in, the beginning of what I wanted to look at is kind of our response when people attack us is often either anger, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, um, or fear, which is what we're going to look at today. One of the ways that we respond when people attack us is that we respond in fear. And one of the things that I, I really love the John Calvin quote, um, he, I introduced this a couple weeks ago, John Calvin calls the Psalms, he talks about it as like, it's like an anatomy of the soul. Um, he says it's like looking in a mirror. When you read the Psalms, it's like looking in a mirror because it shows you kind of your own soul, like your own experiences. You can find anywhere in the book of Psalms, whether it be anger or fear, you can open up the, the, any book of the any book of, uh, with the Psalm, any chapter of the Psalms, and you can see all sorts of emotions being expressed. So I want you to think about that. If you think about the book of Psalms, you can look, open it up, it's like a mirror. Not only that, I want to encourage us today, too, that Psalm 119 says that the, that the Bible itself, the Word, is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. And so not only is it a mirror, but it's also a light. So whatever darkness is going on in the world or whatever darkness is going on inside of you, when we open up the Bible, it's like a light shining into the world or a light shining into our souls. And so, friends, as we come to the Scriptures, I want to just... Uh, orient us in that way. We're, I want to invite you to turn open to Psalm 55 right now. I'm going to read Psalm 55. This is a Psalm of David. We're going to dive in as we look at how David expresses fear. Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. Because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they beat, a, they, sorry, they bear a grudge against me. 
My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within the ho- God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death still over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down to the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out their, half their days, but I will trust in you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for gathering us here. Thank you for your word, that it is a mirror. The, as we open up to the Psalms, it's a mirror to our souls, that we can open up and we can see uh, the complete breadth and depth of human experience in here, especially in the Psalms. Thank you for that. Thank you that we can not only see ourselves, but we can be encouraged to take ourselves to you, to cry out to you, to hope in you. And so I pray that you would even, your word would be a light to our path and a lamp into our path and a light for our feet. Lord, I pray that your word would be the power of salvation for all who believe. Lord, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts that receive your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, back in college, I had a moment where I thought I was going to die. I, my friends convinced me to go on a whitewater, whitewater rafting trip with them. Anybody in here been whitewater rafting before? Anybody here been whitewater rafting on the Gali River? You have? So the Gali River is known as the most dangerous river to raft on east of the Mississippi. So I had some pretty adventuresome, adventurous, how do you say that, friends when I was in college. And on one fall break my sophomore year, they said, let's go, and let's go whitewater rafting down the Gali River. And I was just like, I just wanted to go have fun with my friends. So I said, sure, that sounds great. It wasn't my first whitewater rafting trip, but it was definitely the one that kind of was the most dangerous one that I've probably ever been on. So we hopped in the car, my friends John, Russ, they were all there, and, uh, and we, we got close to the river. We parked, and we got on the bus to go down to uh, the entry point, and I heard somebody in front of me say, yeah, somebody died on the river yesterday. 
And I started thinking to myself, this internal conversation started happening like, that's going to be me. I'm going to die today. Because I know that, like, I'm going to die today. There's no doubt about it. This is a really dangerous river. And then I was like, no, David, don't be silly. You're not going to die. So that internal conversation began to happen. So the thing about the Gali River is that, that if you've been whitewater rafting, you know that they, the rapids are kind of measured by a, kind of what they call a cla- on a class system. And the, the highest you can raft safely is class five. So, you know, a lot of, like the Okoe River has like class three, class some, like one class four rapid. Well, the Gali River has five class five rapids. And so I was really nervous going into this, this whitewater rafting trip. So we, we, uh, the first we got on the river, our guide was really comforting. He was kind of giving us safety instructions along the way. Every, every time we would come to a rapid, he would tell us, like, hey, you know what? If you fall out, swim to the right or swim to the left. I was like, check, okay, I got it, you know. So I began to get more confidence up as I was going through these rapids based on my guide and his safety instructions. So we got to our first class five rapid, which is called Iron Ring. And we were kind of like queuing up, like, you know, there was about five boats in front of us, or rafts in front of us. And I noticed that uh, our guide had not given us any safety instructions yet. And so I kind of raised my hand. I was like, hey, <laughs> hey, I was just wondering, you know, like, uh, where, which, which way do I swim if I fall out? And he kind of turned around. He was like, um, no, you, you don't want to fall out in this rapid. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I mean, of course not. I don't want to fall out, but... You know, what happens if I do fall out? Like, which way do I swim? And he was kind of like getting you queued up, and he's like, he looked at me, and he looked me in the eye. He goes, "You don't understand. You don't want to fall out in this rapid." And then it was like, time to go. <laughs> so like, if there was, you know, sometimes they, now they take pictures of you like on the rapid. Yeah, there was a picture of me like my my like leg was like. Dug into the raft all the way up to my like quad, and I was like this. We made it through obviously and didn't fall out, but I was scared to death. I was scared. I was so frightened. What's going to happen if I was terrified? And 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 I, and I give this illustration because I, if I were to define fear, what is fear? Fear is that uncertainty in the face of danger. I was terrified because I was uncertain if I was going to make it through that rapid. I was uncertain if there was, I couldn't see, there was a rock that we weren't going to see, where if somebody was going to make a wrong move, if I was going to make the wrong move, right? I was uncertain, or I was, I was fearful. I was uncertain in the face of danger. I was afraid I was going to be sucked under that rock and I wasn't going to be able to get out. And it's, you know, for you, maybe you were not rafting down the Gali River, but can you relate to this? If you have that feeling of uncertainty in the face of danger. That feeling of maybe I haven't calculated things correctly. I can't see something in front of me. I'm going to hit a rock that I can't see and I'm going to fall out and life is going to fall apart. Or maybe I'm going to make something, there's something I can't see or or something I'm going to do. I'm going to make a wrong move. I'm not going to paddle correctly. I'm going to make a wrong decision and life's going to fall apart. You ever feel that way? Something you can't see or something you're afraid of doing. So, you know, often we just sit there paralyzed, afraid to make any move because we're just scared to death. Look at me at verses 1 and 2. David has a similar feeling here. 
David is begging God to hear his prayer and answer him. He says this in the first verses 1 and 2. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan. What is, it, what is he? David is panicking here. This word moan means to experience confusion. David himself, the king, was experiencing great confusion, namely because of two things. There were two things like danger-wise he was facing. There was, we read it in verses 9 through 15. There was violence in the city, and he was really uncertain about his own safety. And there was also a betrayal of a friend that we read about in nine, verses 9 through 15. Violence in the city, and there was betrayal of a friend that caused him to call out to God in fear and confusion. He was confused. God, what's going to happen to me? Why is this happening? He was fearful. And so as we move through this psalm, I want to consider two things about fear. So the outline is the reason for our fear and the response to our fear. The reason for our fear and the response to our fear. So first point here, the reason for our fear. Why, why are we so afraid? Why do you deal with fear? You know, why, why are we so filled with panic and confusion? Again, it may not be when you're whitewater rafting, but it can be anything, fill in the blank. What, what causes panic and confusion for you? Why do you feel that way? Look at me at verses 4 and 5. Let's, let's keep our eyes on the psalm here. Listen to David's prayer when he described why he is afraid. He says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. Friends, we are, ultimately, we can fill in the blank here, Ultimately, if we go, if we just dig down behind all of it, and I want to explain this in more detail, if we dig underneath, we're ultimately scared of death. We obsess about death. There's tons of, I mean, for the last five years, how many TV shows have been on Netflix and all your streaming devices about the, you know, the end times or about like some apocalyptic event that's going to happen or about some sort of dystopian theme? Our culture is obsessed with it. It's obsessed with this idea of death this idea of what's going to happen after we die. It's the greatest fear that we all share in common, whether you're a Christian or not. We share this same fear. I share that fear. I've been a Christian all my life. I'm still scared of death. Obviously, on the Golly River, I was scared. And if we're honest, if we dug, dig down, there's a fear of death. And I want to see how we can deal with that as we go through this psalm. As I was... Uh, uh, studying this passage, I was reminded of um, the book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. You guys heard of The Great Divorce? Maybe some of you have read it. In The Great Divorce, um, there's, it's a book about heaven and hell. Um, in other words, kind of what happens after you die. Um, and in the book, there's this place called Greytown. It's this place uh, where people continue to kind of move further and further apart from one another. And they continue to move further and further apart from one another. And as they move further and further apart from one another, they become more hollow. And actually, they end up millions of miles apart from one another. And in Greytown, it's always twilight. It's always gray. And there's always this fear of darkness, of the night coming. But it never comes. And so people in Greytown are constantly living in fear of the night coming and darkness coming. And ultimately... What I think this illustrates is, is that we're fearful of, what ultimately we're fearful of is separation. Separation from life itself. 
These people are separated from life in Greytown. They keep getting more and more and more separated from life. And that's, that's what the nature of death is. Isn't that the nature of death? Why we're so scared of it? Because it separates us from life itself. It separates us from family that we love, from friends that we adore, from the life that we want to live, from the things that we love in life. And it's that threat of separation that's behind all of our fears. It's that threat that something is going to separate you. I have dreams about this, right? Do you have dreams about, like, being separated from the ones that you love? It's that playing on that fear that, you, that we have. But think about what happened to David. If you think about, you know, God, God has made us to experience life. That's one of the reasons we are so fearful of it, because God has made you and designed you to experience union with yourself, union with other people, to be in harmony with creation itself. And so, of course, that's going to be the deepest sort of fear that we have is when we're separated from those things because it's in your bones. That's how God designed you and me, to be in harmony with all these things. Think about what happened to David in Psalm, in, this, in verses 9 through 15. The city was meant to be a safe place for him where he could live out his life as king. But instead, it was a violent place. It had become a violent place. His relationship with his friend was meant to be a safe place. But his friend betrayed him. What was life-giving to David became life-threatening. It's like the second law of thermodynamics. You guys know what the second law of thermodynamics is? (laughs) I'm really not science smart. Do you know what? I bet you do. (laughs) So... Oddly enough, let me tell you who I learned the second law of thermodynamics from. I learned it from Wes McRae's father. Wes McRae's father was my chemistry professor at Berry College. We found this out years later. And, uh, and the one thing Dr. McRae taught me, I didn't remember anything else in science because I was an English major. One of the things I learned was the second law of thermodynamics. Thank you, Dr. McRae was this, everything moves from order to chaos. The universe, everything is always moving from order to chaos. And that is actually what is the deepest part of our fear, is that we know it. We know things are slowly slipping away from us. They're slowly moving towards chaos. And that is what we feel the fear about, is that it's moving towards chaos. How are we going to get order back? Anybody in here, like, just obsessively try to clean their house, you're trying to move against that law of second, thermo, second law of thermodynamics. You're trying to control it. But it, what happens? It gets dirty again. It moves to chaos. Everything's always moving from order to chaos. We kind of feel these things in our lives slowly slipping away from us, and we do everything we can to hold on to them. But what do we do? We live in constant fear of being separated from them. We live in constant fear that even the slightest slip of something, even like if somebody were to move away, like a friend of yours were to move away, what happens? You get panicked. My friend just moved away. That was my safe place. I I confided in that friend. Now they're gone. So many of us have had friends move away, loved ones, or somebody dies. You You lose somebody you care about. Even the slightest slip can make us feel that fear of separation. Because underneath it all, we're really fearing the separation from life itself. And the Bible talks about the harsh reality of death. 
that God intended us to have life with him. But ultimately, we were the ones who brought on death. We were the ones who chose to separate ourselves from God. We were the ones who said, no, God, I want to separate myself from you. And the whole scripture, the whole story of scripture is about God moving towards us, right, to, 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 to remedy that separation so that he would move towards us in love so that we could once again have union with him because of what he does. David is so fearful of this, this, this idea of death, of separation. You can hear David's concern in verse 1 of his prayer when he says, Hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. He, he doesn't want God to hide from him. He wants God to uncover himself so that he can be in union with him. Death is a harsh reality to deal with. It's, a, it's the reason for our fear. It's the reason why you and I are scared, because we are afraid of being separated from life itself. It can be so terrifying that one of our first responses is to just get away from it. Just, just get away from it. Let's talk about, so the, the second point is, let's talk about this uh, response to our fear, and let's dig right in to verses 6 through 8. How did David respond when he felt the terrible fear of death? Because of the violence in the city, because of the betrayal of his friend? How did he respond? And <laughs> he says this, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. How many of you would, would say that? Oh, that I could just get out of here <laughs> and just be at rest. If I could just get out of Dodge, I would be happy. I would be happier. I mean, how many of you have tried that? And then what happens? You move. I've, I've done that. I've moved to different places. Any thing about it is your fear still follows you wherever you go. <laughs> I would hurry to find shelter from a raging wind and tempest when faced through with the reality of danger, especially the danger of death or even the smallest threat of being separated from life. What happens? We want to go to a safe place. We want to go to a safe place, a place of comfort and reassurance. And where do we go? David wanted to fly away like a bird to the wilderness. But what does that look like for us? Maybe sometimes actually we physically move, but maybe sometimes we actually go to comfort and reassurance to places other than God himself, right? Maybe for, it could be all sorts of things. Fill in the blank. It could be food, alcohol, caffeine, or whatever, drink. It could be sex. It could be shopping. Fill in the blank. It could be all sorts of things that we go to to try to, to, put, to try to like hide from or try to find comfort in, to try to find reassurance, try to find a safe place. There, we, the, kids are, there's, the kids are probably too old for this. I remember when my daughter was real young, my daughter Hannah, we would play hide-and-seek. Kids, you guys still play hide-and-seek? Yeah? Well, when you're really little, you remember like when you're really little and you play hide-and-seek? And I remember my daughter used to do this. I was like, okay, go hide. And my daughter would just do this. She, would, she thought she was hiding from me just because she covered up her face. She was like, I'm going to go hide. She wouldn't move. She would just cover up her face. <laughs> just pretend like she was hiding. So often, don't we do that too? Sometimes we just like cover our face and we're just like, if I cover my face and pretend like it's not there, then I'm actually finding comfort and reassurance. We try to hide from the things that we find fearful in our lives by just simply going to or just hiding in TV shows or hiding in alcohol or hiding in sex or hiding in all sorts of things 
when really the danger is still there. Because that's not, that place is not going to reassure you enough. It can only give you a little bit of false security for just a time. And then you come back and you face the fear. Your fears are still there. The fear ultimately of death and separation. We cannot escape it. We cannot escape it on our own. And even though David wanted to fly away like a bird to the wilderness, he doesn't. He says it to God. So you can say that to God. You can say whatever to God. You could be like, God, I just want to go do this. I pray prayers like that. I want to go do this instead of coming to you. <laughs> this is basically what David's prayer was. He's saying, I want to go fly away. I want to go to the wilderness. I want to get out of here. But instead, what does he do? He actually comes back to God in verses 16 through 18. He says, no, but I call to God, and the Lord will save me. And this is, this is super critical here. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. I want to come back to that in a second, this verse. But first I want to um, tell you the story of Gladys Allward. Anybody ever heard of Gladys Allward? She was a missionary, British missionary uh, to China about a, about a century ago or so in the middle part of the last century. During the time, she was there during the time that the Japanese forces were bombing China. And one of the things that she's known for, she's known for actually helping to um, break this tradition of, there was this Chinese tradition of binding women's feet, and she was known for helping to break that tradition of binding women's feet. But one of the things that she's more known for is that she actually saved orphans from the Japanese forces when they were coming in, when they were invading. She took a hundred children with her and fled to safety. And she was with them for 12 days. She's journeyed with a hundred children on her own for 12 days until she came to the Yellow River and realized that she couldn't pass. But as she was going on this journey with her a hundred children, these a hundred kids that were in the orphanage, she prayed and she sang with them all along the way so that they would not be fearful of the Japanese invasion, but that they would actually be focused and turn their attention on where the real safe place can be. And ultimately, what happened was a Chinese soldier heard them singing and praying and provided a boat for them to pass through the Yellow River so that they could pass through to safety. And Gladys Allward is known for saving these 100 children. And actually, after she after she, they found safety, she almost uh, collapsed and died after the journey. So Gladys Allward and the 100 children that she led uh, called on God in prayer and song in the midst of danger, and they were led to safety. I think this is kind of what this, this is an illustration of what David is doing in verses 16 through 18. He says, in evening and morning and night, I called out to you. So, so often, what, what do you do? So often what I do, and when I feel danger I offer what I call a shotgun prayer, right? It's like, God, help me, please. And believe me, don't hear what I'm not saying, shotgun prayers are fine. God, God hears all kinds of prayers. Shotgun prayers are fine. But what is being laid out before us is this different way of praying, what's called evening, noon, and morning. Actually, this verse, this, this chapter here, the, the church throughout its history has, has kind of based its prayer books on this verse, like, prayer books have been oriented around morning, 
noon and evening. If you look at the Anglican Church or you look at the Catholic Church, there are plenty of churches throughout, our, throughout the church history um, who have based their entire prayer books that they've written on this psalm. The fact that David said in morning, evening, sorry, morning, noon, and evening, um, I pray to you. So one of the things I want to encourage you to do is to begin moving in that direction where it doesn't have to be something that's unattainable, but it's something that I would encourage you to, to do is even start with, hey, like go to the Psalms in the morning and the evening. We actually have resources, though. Some, a lot of our leaders have been through this. This is a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Day by Day. Raise your hand if you've done this. We've had a lot of our leaders go through this. And what it does is it teaches us, it teaches you and us to actually observe what's called the hours, like the hours of the day where you pray in the morning, you pray at noon, and you pray in the evening. And so often, maybe I, when I would hear that, I might hear that as a burden. And I hope you hear that not as a burden, but as a, as a place of safety where you can go and you can go to God and you can go to Him and it doesn't even have to be that long. It can be a quick psalm that you go to that you can pray in the morning, you can pray at noon, and you can pray in the evening. If you want more resources, I'm happy to give you. We actually have a handful of copies of these if you want to grab one or grab me on, on your way out. I'm happy to, to provi provide that for you. And the one thing that I want you to, to remember from these verses here particularly is that David says that God heard his prayer. David said that God heard his prayer. And so often, if you're honest like me, sometimes I pray and I'm like, God, did you hear me? Are you there? Like, hello? And sometimes I'm impatient because I want to see an answer to my prayer. And one of the things that even like stories like Gladys Allward can remind us of, that's why we lean on church history, that's why we lean on the Psalms, is because we can look back and say, like, God answered, God heard their prayer. That's like why we read the book of Exodus, right? Because these people, God's people cried out for 400 years, and then it says God heard their prayers. And so often we have to put that on, like we have to wear that and remember that God heard the cries of his people. So I want to encourage you to even go to this psalm and to remember, hey, whenever you're doubting that God, did God hear my prayer? God hears your prayer. He heard David's prayer in his time of distress. David closes his prayer showing us what to do when we call on God. Look at verse 22. He says this, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the right righteous to be moved. What is David's burden? This word burden actually means appointed lot. What was David's appointed lot? It was death. What is your burden? What is your deepest fear? What is our appointed lot? It's death. But ultimately, that's the point of the scriptures. That's why we are here worshiping, because we believe that we can cast our burden. We can cast the deepest fear that we have, separation from life itself, separation from those that we love. We can cast that on God. Ultimately, we can cast that on God, because we have, if we look at the New Testament, this, this verse should ring a bell. Does this verse ring a bell to you? Cast your burden on the Lord. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11? He says, come to me all you who are heavy, who, are, who labor and are heavy burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That burden, there's that word burden again. What was Jesus' appointed lot? To die 
But that's not the end. But to be raised again to new life. That's why we connect ourselves. That's why we connect our yoke to him. That's why we can cast our burden. We can cast all of our fears of the ways that we fear being separated from life itself. All of our fears of death we can cast upon him. Because he ultimately, his appointed lot was death and resurrection. We can abide in him. That is what it means to cast your burden on the Lord. So I want to close with a story. So I, I was with a lot of the same friends of mine um, rafting a couple years later on the Okoe River. Anybody been rafting on the Okoe River? Yeah? So one of my friends, John, uh, he was actually one of my best friends at the time. He was a whitewater rafting guide on the Okoe River. So like he lived up a summer, he had a cabin up in right near the Okoe River and he lived up at his parents' cabin and he would uh, do whitewater rafting tours. So he, he would often invite us us, meaning my friends like uh, John and Russ and these other guys, we, he, we would go up there, we would, and he would take us, uh, he would guide the tour himself, and one of the perks was he would get to do things that he wouldn't normally do, get to do on a normal tour. Namely, he would flip us on certain rapids. And remember, I'm not somebody who wants to do like flipping or anything like that on rapids. So the last, if you remember the last hole, or the last rapid, on the Okoe River is called Hell's Hole. And so at the, the plan of the, at, during every trip was to flip on Hell's Hole. Hell's Hole is like a class three, class four rapid. And I, I remember the first time we did it, he, was, he says, hey, we're going to flip on, the, on Hell's Hole. And I was like, John, I don't want to do it, man. And we're like in the raft. I mean, we're like in the raft. I don't want to do it, man. I don't want to flip. I don't want to flip. No, 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 no. I don't want to do it. Just, I'll pull, pull out of the side. I'll, I'll just get out. And he's like, we're already on, we're already on our way. You know, we're already, we're already almost there. And, he's, and I remember, like, he said to me, he's like, David, don't worry, man. I got you, buddy. And then we flip. <laughs> and thankfully, the only thing I lost, I remember I lost a sandal on that, on that uh, flip. But, um, but it was like, you know, it's like, for me, I could, I could sort of be rest assured that I was going to be safe because I had a long-lasting friendship with my, with my friend John. I could trust him. I knew he wasn't going to put me in any danger. I knew that I could... Trust him no matter what. And friends, that's, that's who we have in God. That's who we have in Jesus. We have somebody that, that when we are abiding with him, when we're in relationship with him, he's our safe place. We can trust his words. When he says, cast your burden on me, connect yourself to me. I have died and risen again. So friends, you don't have to be scared of death. You don't have to be scared of that separation. All, the, all those times you're fearful, you can go to God himself. And that's, the, that's what's unique about the Christian church, is that we have a God who has gone to death and raised again, been raised again to new life. So friends, cast your burden on him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is a light unto our feet and a, a lamp unto our path. I pray that it would be, uh, your, your word would um, shine light into the darkness especially the darkness of our fears, how we separate, our, how we are fearful of death, and how we go to so many other false securities in our lives. I pray that we would turn to you. Ultimately, we would find rest in you, that we cast our burden on you. Thank you that we, you are our safe place. Teach us to pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.